quite sure what week we're up to. I think it's probably something like week 16, is that right? Is that week 16 of our, our series on Colossians? It feels like 116. Um, so we'll continue, continue our series on, uh, on the book of Colossians. And... Uh, an academic and uh, theologian by the name of um, Edwin Judge says that the uh, classical world that, um, that Jesus and uh, Paul and the church in Colossae uh, were part of was governed by three major ideas, three philosophical concepts or, or themes that, that governed how people uh, thought about life. Uh, firstly, was the, this idea that the, the cosmos was closed. That is, um, nothing changes and everything is set and ordered. That the gods are a, aloof from creation, have set in motion an unchangeable and mechanical system where everything and everyone is subject to fate. The second sort of governing uh, principle is that um, society was closed. So the cosmos was closed and society was closed. So in the Roman Greco world, everyone was born into a position in society that was called rank. Uh, and that was your rank was only uh, changeable or, or was rarely changeable um, by adoption by marriage or some form of, uh, of legal decree. But essentially, people were born into rank and remained at that level throughout their lives. And so essentially, your, your role in society was fixed. And as a good citizen of, of the empire, uh, you were to maintain order at all costs. And so a well-functioning society relied upon everyone conforming to the expectations of, of their rank and status and keeping things um, as they were. And then the third thing, the third big idea, the big, big theme that uh, pervaded um, the classical world was that the human heart was closed. Not just the cosmos, not just society, but the human heart was a closed, uh, a closed thing. It seems very strange to us, but the in the classical world, people considered were considered beyond transformation, beyond change. The prospect or the possibility of, of uh, change taking place was ruled out because the condition of your heart, your personhood or character could not be reformed. And so just like the cosmos and um, society, nature or human nature was fixed with very little wiggle room. There was very little room for movement. And not only was the, the, the human heart closed, what was really interesting was that um, virtue in the classical world um, was viewed very differently to how we would view virtue or character today. So the word virtue comes from uh, the word virility, um, and a, a, a virtuous person was exclusively a, a male. It was a, a manly thing. Virtue was to do with, with masculinity, and your level of character, your 
level of virtue was measured by your physical um, strength or prowess. I'm not quite sure how that, my wife is smirking here. She's obviously thinking what I'm thinking. I would have been classed as quite low character in the classical world. So to be of, to be of good character, to be a virtuous person, um, was really gender and strength and, and power-based. And layered over this, so the heart is unchangeable, Character or virtue is masculine. It is uh, based around physical, the attributes of physical strength and prowess. And overlay, overlaid against this is also the thought that attributes such as kindness and compassion, which we today would esteem, um, were actually condemned. Kindness and compassion were considered to be um, feminine traits and a character weakness because it involved you getting involved in the life of another person. When in reality, in the classical world, your moral obligation was to take care of yourself. This idea of compassion, compassion means to suffer with another or to share another person's pain um, didn't make sense and it wasn't rational. What you were doing if you expressed compassion or kindness to another person was you were messing with the idea of a closed society or you're messing with what the gods had set in place and, and established. If the gods had ordained someone to be weak or disabled, who were you to meddle with what had been established. And so compassion and kindness were frowned upon in the classical world. People were accustomed um, to this way of being in the world. It was just the way that it was. It seems... Bizarre to us, perhaps, but to them it made perfect sense. Change was to be avoided, and transformation, whether it be on a societal, communal level, or a, or a person's heart, was to be resisted. And it's into this context, it is into this kind of worldview that Jesus and the gospel comes and begins to challenge and question the existing norms and these deeply rooted philosophical ideas that had governed people's thinking and ways of being in the world for something like a thousand years. And what Paul the Apostle does is he takes the person of Christ and the message of the gospel which stands in direct contrast to all that the Roman uh, Greco world is built upon and introduces to the Christians at Colossae a radical way of viewing the cosmos, of viewing society, and of, of viewing one's individual personhood. And so what Paul proposes 
uh, is firstly that the Jewish um, Christian God is not like the gods that they are used to, but the God that has been um, embodied in the person of Christ presides over a creation that is good. This God cares. This God is accessible and is intimately involved with creation. Thanks, Sal, if you can put up the first slide. To the Colossians, uh, Paul writes, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. What Paul is, is saying to the Colossians is that God is not aloof. The cosmos is not closed. But God has come close and has become incarnate. God has taken on human flesh and lived as one of us. Then secondly, Paul advocates that God's vision of society is a one that is governed by shalom. That the world is meant to be a place of equality and justice for all. And the church, which is God's new community, was to be modeled, uh, was to model an alternate construct of what society should look like. The church is to be a community not based upon a hierarchy of, uh, of, of rank and status where the powerful and strong rule over the weak and the vulnerable, but a community uh, constituted of masters and slaves, uh, Jew and, and Gentile, male and female, all gathering together as one at a singular table and gathered around the person of Christ. And that's why Paul wrote to the Colossians uh, these words from chapter 3, verse 11. Here, there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or un uncircumcised, barbarian, uh, Scythian, slave or free, for Christ is all and is in all. And then thirdly, Paul introduces what is the most radical notion of the possibility of personal change and transformation. No matter how bad or how broken I might be, Paul's message, the message of the gospel, the story of Christ holds out for humanity the promise that we can be forgiven that we can be redeemed and that we can be re repaired to reflect the very likeness of the good God in whose image that we have been created. It's possible that our lives can be different to the one that has been assigned by the gods. And so Paul uh, writes uh, to the Colossians, he says, your old life is dead. Your new life, which is your real life, even though invisible to spectators, is with Christ in God. He is your life. When Christ, your real life, remember, shows up again on this earth, you'll show up too, the real you, the glorious you. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which has been renewed in knowledge, in the image of its 
creator. This was a bombshell. That the heart, after all, wasn't a closed place. That regardless of where I was on the, the, the ladder, the rung of life, I, as an individual, could be forgiven and can be changed. This is good news. I'm not locked into being who the gods have willed me to be. Then the gospel also expels the myth of virtue being an exclusively male trait based on physical strength and prowess. Good character is accessible to all and is founded upon reflecting the very things that the ancient world condemned. That's why Paul writes to the Colossians, so chosen by God for this new life of love, Dress in the wardrobe God picked out for you. Compassion, kindness, humility, quiet strength, discipline. Be even-tempered, content with second place, quick to forgive an offense. Forgive as quickly and completely as the master forgave you. And regardless of what, uh, of what else you put on, wear love. It's your basic all-purpose garment. Never be without, without it. Paul was proposing an utterly way, new way of being human, of living life. And what he was doing, he was opening up uh, the human heart to the idea that to be human was to actually show compassion, which was to suffer with or feel the pain of another person. This is after approximately a thousand years of the world saying that compassion and kindness were to, were to be set aside and were, were traits that were, were uh, to be avoided at all costs. The gospel was suggesting something other. And today we sit 2,000 years after the introduction of of the gospel of Jesus. For two millennia, the, this message has had an opportunity to influence the world. Paul and the Colossians were at the beginning of that journey in which the cosmos, society, and the human heart were being liberated. So far in, in, in this series, we've looked at empire pretty much in the context of Rome, the political system that dominated the lives and the landscape of the Colossians. And I think we've done well to do that and to, and to, and to say that we need to be resistant of empire in, in, its, in its form that it comes to us today in, in the forms of of consumerism and in the form of uh, nationalism, which were, what an outstanding message uh, Vainand uh, uh, spoke a, a few weeks ago, and in the form of globalization. We've done well to say we need to identify empire as it presents to us today. But I suspect that that's not just the only theme of empire that Paul is wanting to address in the book of Colossians. I think 
that there is something deeper and more personal in the book of Colossians that, that, that Paul is wanting to address to those early followers of Christ. You can tell I'm getting excited. What I want to propose to us this morning, that in writing this little epistle to this little community in the, in the backwaters of the, of, of the Roman Empire called Colossae, Paul was addressing empire on a personal level as well. That the, that the empire exists on, on at least two levels. The empire is without Rome, Caesar, and all of the structure that goes with that political system. But the empire is not just there without. It's not just Rome. The empire is also of the human heart. It exists on two levels. It's the empire without and the empire within. And we do ourselves a disservice if all we do is focus on the empire without and neglect what I also see within this book as being Paul wanting the, the Colossian church to grasp hold of. That we need to resist empire on both levels, not just Rome, but also resist the empire that sits at the very heart of our humanity. The empire of the heart is the unredeemed human condition. It's that part of us that is self-serving, that is consumed with self-interest and is self-seeking and is rooted essentially in, in our attempt to center the world around us and for us to set ourselves up as God. The problem with the world is not just um, a Caesar Augustus or Caesar Tiberius or Emperor uh, Caligula or Claudius or Nero or can I say Emperor Abbott. And he is a big problem. Let's not go there. We need to be addressing empire on both levels. Man, don't get me started. Oh. Seriously. I won't get distracted, sorry. I just, I, it is so grievous to, to, to be part of a country at the moment that is the way that it is, that stuff that, oh my God. The problem is, we are all wanting to set ourselves up as little Caesars. And we can't just point the finger at Emperor Abbott or Emperor Augustus. It's easy to do that. It's easier to do that than point to the emperor that sits within our own hearts, that wants to enthrone itself up as God. And in Colossians, Paul describes some of the ways in which the empire of the heart manifests, manifests itself. 
wake up, Alex. Put to death, or can I say, resist. Resist, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, the empire of your heart. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self um, with its practices. Each of us manifests the empire of the heart differently. And in large, as, as Shane was talking about last week, you know, the macro and the micro. We manifest the empire of the heart in, in large and in small ways. We all live and work and play in a web of relationships, of families, of households, of workplaces, of, of, of schools and communities. And what we do is we like to enjoy the benefits of those relationships or those places. And what we do, we, we, we enjoy all of the benefits that come from those people and those places. And we take what we can so that they provide us with the maximum gain. But we're often not committed to contributing to the flourishing of the other person or the other place. It's what's in it for us. What can I gain from my workplace? What can I gain from um, my marriage or my relationship? What can, I, what can I gain from church community? What can I gain from whatever it is that I belong to? I'm happy as long as it's feeding and nourishing me, but I'll hold back from contributing for that other person or that other place to flourish. And what we will do is we will self-justify as why we shouldn't have to do the dishes or take out the rubbish, why we should be ahead in the queue, why we should be entitled to push in the traffic. I'm just using very small kind of stuff now, but it's how we live our day-to-day -day lives. We do that because my needs and what I have to do is actually more important than everybody else's. Because I'm Caesar Steve. And the world ought to revolve around me. You see, in the empire of the heart, just like, remember the triangle, the empire of Rome, everything flowed from the bottom up to the top. Power and prestige was all gravitating towards the top in order to secure security and peace for the one that benefited most, which was 
Caesar Augustus. But in the empire of the heart, the internal stuff, that's the outside political, but when it comes to the personal, we're the ones that sit at the triangle and everything and everyone around about us is there to feed into us to ensure our security, our prosperity, and our peace. And just as Paul called the Colossians to resist the empire without, to resist Rome, to be subversive and to intentionally uh, work against it, Paul was also calling the Colossians to resist the empire of the heart within. That's why he writes, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. What Paul was calling the Colossians to be was to be Christians. Do you know what that word Christian means? What is a Christian? It means to be a little Christ. Paul is saying, don't be a little Caesar. Don't be a little Caesar. Don't put yourself on the top of the pyramid. But be a little Christ. Follow the way of Christ. Be compassionate. Be kind. Be humble. Be gentle. Be forgiving and love because that's what Christ is like. And as a little Christ, follow in the ways of the one who has modeled for us a way of living and being in this world, which is in such a stark contrast to the philosophy that you've been presented with. And it's the cross and the resurrection of Christ by which God addresses the quest for power and control that the empire of Rome and the empire of the heart seeks to seize. Thanks, Alex. This is lengthy, but it's worthwhile going through. For in Christ... All the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him you are also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. 
When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive in life with Christ. For he forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and the authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. The cross was the symbol of the empire's power. Crucifixions were a public event that acted as warnings to all that rebellion against empire would be crushed. And it was at his crucifixion, it was at the cross, that Jesus confronted empire in all its forms. The empire without and the empire within. There upon the cross, Jesus looked empire in the eye. He looked Rome and Caesar in the eye. And he looked the unredeemed human heart, the empire within us in the eye. And he resisted it and he overcame it through the giving of himself. The very worst that empire in its, all its forms could throw at him was overcome by the resurrection. The resurrection was God's declaration that the way of love, of compassion, of kindness, of humility and grace triumphs over power, pride and self-seeking. It was at the cross and through the resurrection that the empire without and that the empire within was overturned and overcome. And that is the good news for us. The cosmos is open. God is accessible. God has come close in the person of Christ, understands our weaknesses and bears and knows our pain. That society is to be modeled after the, the compassion and the, and, the, and the kindness that was exemplified by Christ at Calvary. That there is no hierarchical system. It's flat. There is equality and there is justice for all. And thirdly, the good news that people like you and I in our brokenness and in our badness can actually experience transformation and change. Rod's going to lead us in prayer and, um, and communion. Was there any questions or comments uh, to be made just as Rod... Should we forgive the Greeks? Absolutely. Let's all forgive the Greeks right now. Um, can I just clarify? I, I got carried away with my comment about Empire, oh, sorry, Emperor Abbott. Um, I, can I just clarify? I'm, I'm, it's not a political party, it's the political climate. 
that is just so, for me, is so grievous at the moment. It doesn't matter what political party persuasion that any of us have. At the end of the day, we're living at the moment, from my perspective, in a in a really distressing and 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 in a sad, sad place. So please don't interpret my comment about our prime minister. The Bible does tell us that we are to respect um, and honour uh, the emperor and and uh, and and pray for our government. So please, I just need to nu- nuance what I just said earlier on. It's gone. I see it. Can we have that that slide, Alex? So I'm just going to... um, We're going to do something together that's a little bit old school. We're going to do some uh, prayer of repentance this morning um, as we move into communion. Um, And I guess this is based on Steve's observation that uh, in Jesus... And in Jesus' death, there is a movement into a new creation and a new society, but also into a new body, into new bodies. And so that new creation, that challenge to empire, um, starts with each of us, starts with each individual body, just as it did with Jesus in his death and his resurrection. His resurrected body was the beginning of the transformation of everything, the transformation of our bodies, the transformation of society and the transformation of all that is. And so we, I guess we need to remember, um, as we look at these steps, which Vaynant took us through a few weeks ago and if you didn't listen to that talk I'd really recommend you listening to it because it was magnificent um, about the way that the church throughout history has so often taken the path of unfaith and not the path of faith and that has led to to pride and to greed and to violence um, all the way down to our present day Um, but Steve's talk today reminds us that it is not just the church writ large that is guilty of um, of failing to turn away from death towards life, but it is us as individuals that do that as well. It is, it is us as individuals that, that sometimes choose the path of unfaith rather than faith. It is us as individuals that choose the path of of pride become act like little Caesars rather than little little Christ's and it is us who show greed as we seek to strengthen our own security to increase our own life in our own power it's us that dehumanizes those around us in that process and that treats them cruelly because We've stripped them of their humanity. And it is us at times that blasphemes. We who block the means of grace, block access to God for those because when they look at us, they see a distortion of God. 
So before we take communion, we have an opportunity here to, I guess, seek to to connect or reflect on one of those steps or stages that resonates with you in your life at the moment. Um, A relationship, a situation, a moment in your life at the moment where you feel like you are walking down the path of unfaith and not down the path of faith, clinging to to empire, to the culture of death and not turning from it towards life and love. So we'll just have a couple of minutes now of of silent reflection and prayer, um, praying about the empire of your own heart and giving over to God your own faith and asking him for his spirit to bring you faith. So let's do that for a couple of minutes now. Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of us, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen. So as we take communion this morning, the the cracker and the juice, let's remember that in Jesus' death and resurrection, the empire dies and the kingdom of God is resurrected. That Jesus' death and resurrection tore a hole in the darkness and light began to bleed out, the first light of the new reality of the kingdom of God. So let's reflect on that as we eat and drink together.
ask you to join me as I pray to send us out. God, as we go into this week, keep us questioning whether we are willing to rearrange our lives, whether we're ready to give up our own empires, and whether we're bold enough to believe that all this talk is not in vain. Keep us questioning, but send us out filled with your compassion, your kindness, your humility and your strength, that it may change our hearts and spill out into our lives and our world. Amen.